Hey, Rarecast listeners, the drug development process is no longer just for industry. Join Global Genes for the annual Rare Drug Development Symposium to connect with rare disease stakeholders in the drug development space and learn what role you can play to advance treatments and cures for rare diseases. The symposium takes place in Philadelphia, June 11th and 12th. For more information, go to globalgenes.org forward slash RDDS. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Prader-Willi syndrome is the most common genetic cause of life-threatening childhood obesity. It's a rare and complex condition that's characterized by unrelenting hunger or hyperphagia, as well as intellectual disability, short stature, and incomplete sexual development. Melendo Therapeutics is developing levolatide, an experimental first-in-class therapy that treats hyperphagia by targeting the underlying hormone dysregulation of Prader-Willi syndrome. We spoke to Julia Owens, CEO of Melendo, about Prader-Willi, the changing development path of levolatide, and what the company has learned as it shifted its focus to a different patient population. Julia, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about Melendo, rare endocrine conditions, and your lead experimental therapy to treat Prader-Willi syndrome. Let's start with Prader-Willi. For people not familiar with the condition, what is it? How does it manifest itself? Sure. Um, Prader-Willi syndrome is a rare genetic condition. It results from a deletion um, on chromosome 15 that happens spontaneously um, at conception. It's not inherited, but it does happen occur in about 10,000 patients uh, in the United States, and um, it results in um, abnormal food-seeking behaviors in patients. It results in a symptom called hyperphagia, which is chronic insatiable hunger um, that starts when patients are about five to eight years old and then continues through life. And this results in um, risky food-seeking behaviors that can be dangerous, as well as if not you know, controlled in a, in a very rigid living environment can result in morbid obesity and death. So it's a pretty serious condition um, in patients, and it impacts way more than just the patients, but their families and caregivers, too, who have to be very protective of food sources around these patients. What is the long-term prognosis for a patient with the condition, and, and what are some of the health effects beyond hyperphagia? Yeah, so patients um, on average uh, die in their thir- early 30s, and there's not a lot of great data, but, but on average um, patients um, make it till early 30s. Um, their deaths can range from accidents because they were seeking extreme measures to try to find food um, or choking or other things. 
but also respiratory and cardiovascular uh, issues resulting from the obesity. And right now, there are no treatments available for uh, Prader-Willi syndrome. And so patients have to live in an environment where refrigerators are locked, cabinets are locked. Um, they're on a low-calorie diet. They have to um, be supervised 24-7. Um, and so that's all you can do to try to um, control this and try to avoid the obesity and avoid the accidents. In terms of other symptoms, um, this is a broad endocrinological disease, so a lot of hormonal ir irregularities in patients with Prader-Willi. So on top of um, the hormonal abnormalities that lead to these food-seeking behaviors, um, there's also deficiencies in growth hormones. So patients are, have a shorter stature. They have um, incomplete sexual development. They, on average, have a lower IQ. They have a lot greater anxiety um, than average patients. And so all of those other components of the disease really confound its management. Well, you're, you're developing labellatide as a potential treatment for Prader-Willi syndrome. What is it and how does it work? Yeah, so levolatide is an analog of a hormone called unacylated ghrelin. Um, and patients who have hyperphagia um, in Prader-Willi generally have quite low levels of this hormone. So actually when patients are born, they have quite high levels of this hormone um, when they're newborns. But as they advance through some classic nutritional phases, um, their unacylated ghrelin levels drop coincident with the onset of these food-seeking behaviors. And so levolatide is a stable analog um, of unacylated ghrelin, um, which we're seeking to basically replace the lack of unacylated ghrelin activity and hope that that will restore um, the food-seeking behaviors or improve the abnormal food-seeking behaviors uh, and help in patients with Prader-Willi, and that's what we were able to show in our initial phase two clinical study. Well, what's known about levolatide today? Yeah, so, so far, levolatide has been studied extensively preclinically. Um, it has been studied in a phase one clinical study that included over 100 subjects. It was studied in a phase two clinical study in 47 patients with Prader-Willi syndrome, which I would note is the largest phase two study ever run in this condition. And right now, uh, we have just completed recruitment in a pivotal study, which we are hoping will be able to serve for seeking approval for, for the compound. We have recruited 158 subjects um, across 38 clinical centers in the U.S., Europe, and Australia in the study that we uh, currently have ongoing. Well, what are the endpoints in that study? The primary endpoint in that pivotal study, which we call Zephyr, um, is improvement in hyperphagia. So there is a validated questionnaire. It's called the hyperphagia questionnaire um, uh, that measures these food-seeking behaviors. And so we're seeking to show an improvement in that primary endpoint. We also have a series of secondary endpoints, including 
um, fat mass, waist circumference, and body weight um, that that are also components of the study. But the primary endpoint, uh, and what we believe is the uh, necessary endpoint for approval of a treatment for hyperphagia and Prader-Willi syndrome, is this hyperphagia questionnaire. You mentioned the how complex a condition this is and, and the effects that it has are, are quite broad-ranging. Is there any indication that this drug will do anything beyond treating the hyperphagia that's associated with Prader-Willi? We're hopeful that it would also uh, help with many of the metabolic challenges in these patients. These patients have a um, lower resting metabolic rate, um, which already makes them prone to weight gain. Um, they uh, Patients with Prader-Willi develop diabetes at an earlier age and at a higher rate um, than other patients. And as I noted, they, they do often end up as obese, if, if not living in a very, very controlled environment. Levolatide has been shown in preclinical and early clinical studies to show uh, improvements in some of these various metabolic parameters, and we're hopeful that in addition to improving the hyperphagia, the food-seeking in uh, Prader-Willi syndrome, uh, they will also improve some of these other components that um, res- that are challenging in, in Prader-Willi patients. You acquired levolatide in 2017. You, you actually had been developing a drug for polycystic ovary syndrome that failed in a phase 2B study. What was it about levolatide that attracted you to it? Yeah, the company uh, as a whole has been around since 2012. So this is this is our eighth year of operation. Throughout that time, we've been focused on endocrine diseases. I was one of two co-founders of the company back in 2012, along with Riley Kerpola and Gary Hammer, who is the current president of the Endocrine Society. So our, our interest throughout has been serious endocrine diseases, and so that we started focused in a, a endocrine cancer. Um, and over eight years, we've worked in six different indications, um, and. You know, endocrine diseases are, are a unique area where um, there's some commonalities in drug development um, and where there are a number of significant unmet medical needs that we think are overlooked. So as a company throughout our history, we have been seeking to identify compounds that can make a very significant difference in patients' lives with endocrine diseases. And so that included polycystic ovary syndrome, uh, that included congenital adrenal hyperplasia that we're also working on now, um, and that includes levolatide for Prader-Willi syndrome, um, which we brought into the pipeline, as you noted, in, in 2017, um, as we recognized this as a compound where we thought it could make a really significant difference in a disease where there are no existing treatments, where p- patients are dying prematurely, and we could hopefully really transform their um, quality and potentially quantity of life. I see the endocrinology connection between the two conditions, but the patient populations are fundamentally different. You're dealing now with a much smaller and and younger patient population. How has that changed the way you interact with the patient community, and and what role are they playing in the development of levolatide? 
Right. I mean, keeping the patient in the forefront of your mind is is crucial when um, developing drugs for any indication, um, but especially for rare diseases. Polycystic ovary syndrome is a disease that impacts between 8 and 13 million women in the United States. So it's a very common, probably the most common um, endocrine disease in women um, and one of the most common overall. Um, we, when we were working in that disease, we still needed to make sure we understood the patient challenges, the patient experience, um, and what a treatment could do to improve their lives. I think that's the same in Prader-Willi syndrome. In the case of Prader-Willi, we're talking a much less common condition, as I noted, about 10,000 patients in the United States. Um, but it still means we need to spend time understanding um, the patient condition, the patient experience, and what um, our efforts to develop new treatments are going to um, do to change their lives. So we've had some close partnerships with a number of the patient advocacy groups in the Prader-Willi space, and it's an area that there are some very strong, well-organized patient advocacy groups like the Foundation for Prader-Willi Research, like the Prader-Willi Association of the U.S., and one international Prader-Willi group as well. So we've been sponsors of their scientific meetings. We've served on their clinical trial consortia. Um, and we've had an ongoing dialogue and interaction um, with these groups. We actually this year or this past year also had our first ever patient advisory board. You know, we often interact with physicians, we often interact with payers, but we actually established a patient and caregiver advisory board for our development of levolatide and Prader-Willi syndrome. I'm wondering if you've learned anything from that experience. I think we've learned a ton, um, and and it has really influenced how we we think about our drug development and how um, we optimize how we're going to make sure we deliver levolatide ultimately to the marketplace. Um, when you have to understand, um, for example, how challenging it is for Prader-Willi patients to participate in a clinical study because these patients. Um, live in, in a very rigidly controlled environment. They often, you know, don't leave their house um, unsupervised. Uh, they have, if they go to regular schools, they have full-time aides. Um, and they are, for their caregivers, it means 24-7 supervision. Um, and so participation in a clinical trial means venturing to hospitals, being outside of the normal routine. And that is, is stressful for um, the patient who has a high level of anxiety to begin with and for the caregiver who wants to make sure, you know, they're not going to come upon food unexpectedly, which can result in meltdowns or danger. Um, in designing our clinical study, we made sure to bring on a group called Scout Clinical Trials that helped facilitate the travel arrangements and the reimbursement and the um, plans for participation in the clinical study to make that less disruptive for the families who participated in the study. So that's just one example of, of things we learned about the patient community and how we could make their participation in in clinical studies easier, and we're similarly thinking about once levolatide is hopefully approved, how we can um, partner with um, the 
families and the patients to provide a suite of services that will enable um, improvement in care. If all goes well, when might you be in a position to look at the data and apply for uh, marketing approval? Well, we're expecting top-line results from our current study in the first half of this year, so just in the next few months. Um, we are hopeful that this one study with 158 subjects um, may have sufficiently positive results that we could use it to file for um, FDA approval, but we won't know that until, you know, after we have those results. The um, standard for approval of a drug uh, is two well-controlled pivotal studies. Um, the FDA makes exceptions for very, very serious conditions where no treatments are available, where you have persuasive, um, statistically significant results, and that's what we hope we will have with um, Zephyr that reads out in the next few months. But we will have to get those results, um, make sure they are positive, engage with the FDA to uh, prepare for hopefully NDA filing, the FDA will have to review that, and then we would need to seek approval. So uh, I can't give a specific date, but our objective will be to move as quickly as we possibly can um, to engage with the agency based on these results and move to getting it approved and launched as quickly as we possibly can. Is the expectation that you would launch this yourselves, or would you seek a partner to do that? Yeah, it's currently our plan to launch this ourselves in the United States. So we have... Well, our company is based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where I'm sitting right now. Um, and we have set up an office actually outside of Boston in Lexington, Massachusetts, where we're establishing our commercial and medical affairs group. We have eight people there now, um, but expect to quadruple that later this year as we continue to build our commercial group. Right now we have commercial strategy, market access, patient engagement, medical affairs, compliance, but um, we'll have to expand uh, our functions and our breadth in our commercial organization um, and intend to do that over the next uh, next two years. Outside of the United States, on the other hand, we intend to seek a partner at this point in time um, as a company that does not currently have a commercial footprint. Uh, we think it's judicious to focus on the U.S. first with our very first product to allow a partner to do outside of the United States. And maybe with the next product that comes along, we'll be ready to expand um, beyond the commercial realm uh, in the U.S. Obesity is a, a serious health problem in the broader population. Does lavolatide have the potential to treat a, a broader population than prader Willie? You know, we haven't been studying it and, and don't intend at this point in time to go after generalized obesity. Um, we believe that levolatide has particular effects specific to Prader-Willi syndrome, where we do know there are these hormonal abnormalities in unacylated ghrelin that we think levolatide is particularly well-suited to target. There are likely other rare hyperphagic and obesity conditions that might have uh, similar hormonal abnormalities where levolatide would be valuable. Um, and so once we focus on Prader-Willi and making sure our drug development is successful in this space, we'll consider other areas we go into, but we'll likely focus in these very serious um, and more rare uh, 
hyperphagic and obesity conditions for our drug development efforts. Julia Owens, President and CEO of Melendo Therapeutics. Julia, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.